Welcome back to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. So, Jason, today we had a very interesting conversation. In fact, this conversation, you know, it may have been virtual, but it happened in Washington, D.C. Yeah, it was a really cool opportunity to talk to Congressman Brad Finstad from Minnesota and just get a little inside information on how things work out there in Washington. Yeah, so, I mean, it's really interesting. The congressman is a fourth-generation farmer, still actively involved in his home operation. You know, it's really important that somebody with that kind of a background is directly impacting uh, the decisions that are made at a federal level uh, with regards to our, you know, our industry, the agricultural industry. Yeah, absolutely, Preston. I think, and, and we touched on that in the conversation with Congressman Finstead, but, you know, I think all farmers would agree that we have voices out in Washington that understand the issues that impact rural America. Absolutely, Jason. So without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation with the congressman. Congressman, welcome to the podcast here uh, this afternoon. Great to have you on. Uh, Before we jump into the interview, I know you're a fourth generation family farmer. So I just wanted to ask, how are conditions looking back home? How's how's the weather look? Are the crops, you know, getting planted at a at a decent pace this year? Yeah, so we uh, we're we're lucky. Um, We have uh, we have a couple farms within a few miles apart. And it's amazing when you're a farmer, how you pay attention to the weather in a way that really no one else does. And so we had a couple of thunderstorms brew up over the last couple of days that touched one of our farms and not another. So we've had to make a few different little planting decisions based on where the rain was. But uh, overall, soil conditions are great. Um, planting has been working out great. Um, really just awesome opportunities for us to watch that fifth generation hop in the tractors over the weekend and work, work some land and get get the, you know, get the bug for farming at a young age. So it's been great. We're, we're very blessed. Perfect. Well, I, Congressman, you know, we work with farmers every day in our day-to-day jobs. I'm just kind of curious, what got you into politics? It's quite the contrast in uh, career choice. <laughs> yeah, you know, at a, young, at a young age, I saw that there was a real need for real people, real farmers, real folks that cared about rural Minnesota, rural America. I just felt like we were missing a seat at the table. And so at a young age in my career, I got involved in ag advocacy through the Minnesota Farm Bureau. I, uh, you know, really started to see firsthand what grassroots policy development was, working with farmers to try to figure out, you know, not only what were the issues that kept us up at night, but how to articulate those issues to policymakers that ultimately, you know, were making decisions that would affect our farms and our operations. And, and and through that, I you know, it was one of those things. I was 24 years old and some neighbors came up to me and said, hey, you should run for the state legislature. And at 24, I'm like, yeah, you're darn right I should. And uh, decided to do it and, you know, really kind of took that farm kid mentality that's just, you know, in my DNA. And that was be humble, have humility, work hard, show up. Um, not be afraid to tell people, you know what, I don't know what you're talking about, but teach me. And And I just took that that mentality and then got elected. And I served three terms in the Minnesota State House when I was got elected when I was 24, sworn in at 25 and served served those three terms, six years. And, and that really kind of was the start for me to really realize that, you know what, we all have a role. We all have a place uh, in, in making our backyard better. And we owe it to our kids and future generations to just show up and make a difference and work hard and be good people and be and, and be folks that 
that really, you know, want to leave it all on the field. I, you know, I tell people all the time that if, if God takes me tomorrow, I want to be able to look at him in the eye and say, you know, I'm, I left it all on the field and I really uh, am focused on doing that. And I felt that my role and my place and the gifts that God has given me have kind of put me, put me in this position. So I guess my, my overarching fear is I just don't want to screw it up. <laughs> that That is so, I mean, that's so great to hear. And, you know, I, I think all of us involved in agriculture when we, um, you know, maybe we feel like we don't have a voice. So it's so great to have someone with such a farming background there in Washington. I know there's others too, but, you know, I, I feel like we can never have enough people speaking for us. One thing that we wanted to discuss a little bit today is, is the farm bill that's been on a lot of farmers' minds. So, you know, what can you tell us about that? How is that process coming along? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it dovetails with maybe your earlier comment here that, you know, we, we need real people right in the farm bill, real farmers. We, we need the farm bill to be written by farmers for farmers, by rural America for rural America. And in order for that to happen, you know, people like me can't just go into this assuming that we know all the answers. We, we have to reach out to folks all over this country and, and really just gain input and, and gain their advice and uh, have conversations with folks that the farm bill actually, you know, is a part of their life. So, where we're at in the process right now is we're we're in that kind of end stages of of kind of those conversations and and getting to the committee work in regards to you know potentially uh, in the next few months uh, starting a markup of the farm bill. So right now it is uh, out and about listening to folks, gathering input, having uh, field hearings. Uh, we've we've had committee hearings in in uh, Texas, Florida, California, Pennsylvania listening sessions throughout the country. And uh, so that that's really a good thing, you know. And, and again, just, you know, knowing my background, it's something that I've always felt really important. And I'm just really proud that the chairman, G.T. Thompson, sees that's important, that we need public policy that reflects the folks that it's trying to serve. And in order to do that, we have to make sure we're having conversations with those folks. So, you know, I'm a corn and soybean farmer from southern Minnesota. I understand that that component of agriculture uh, I own a soil laboratory with my family. I understand the precision agriculture, the soil science, the environmental work that we as farmers are doing every day. But I'm not going to pretend to know how to, you know, how to grow cattle or how to grow cotton or what an almond farm looks like or what a pistachio farm looks like. So I need to, you know, myself make sure that I'm asking those questions, talking to folks that are living in those worlds uh, and, and then uh, making sure that we're passing policy that reflects it. So. The Farm Bill, uh, you know, we have a unique opportunity because I think most would agree in ag country or rural America that the Farm Bill that was passed in 2018 was a pretty good Farm Bill. And rarely in politics or in government do we do we get to start at a place that, you know, was pretty good. And so now we can, you know, work around the edges to make it a little bit better and improve with the times. Um, but we're by no means starting from scratch. So I think that's a good position to start from. So are there, is, is there a big issue or, or several big issues that kind of take up the bulk of the time for discussion? Or it, what can we expect, I guess, a little bit? Yeah, so just the mechanics, the funding mechanics overall, uh, over 82% of the farm bill is in the nutrition title, which is SNAP, you know, the, the food programs. So there's always opportunities for education when it comes to that. You know, a lot of folks still call it the old food stamp program, and it hasn't been called the food stamp program for quite some time, but that's what people know SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Program, to be. 
So the education component of what that really is and, uh, you know, that that's going to be a big part of the Farm Bill. But the other piece is, you know, protecting some of the core risk management tools that the Farm Bill really gives farmers. So crop insurance, for instance, you know, one of the number one tools from my uh, perspective that has really provided that risk management tool for farmers on the front end when you're having conversations with your lender, uh, on the back end when you're making marketing decisions, it provides you a lot more confidence and a lot more risk management to understand where your risks are and how you're protected and at what level. Um, so crop insurance has been great that way. Um, it also is probably one of the number one young farmer tools, I think, that we have at our disposal right now because there's not too many uh, industries or programs where you have really that income insurance program that allows you to manage risk. It allows you to plan for the worst, hope for the best, make good marketing decisions, and really stay in the game for uh, you know for for the next cropping cycle. And and I look at it from a you know again the fourth generation that's trying to you know that's raising the fifth generation. Uh, it's a great tool that provides me uh, opportunities to get to that fifth generation. So. That's going to be the big piece. Conservation title of the Farm Bill is always something that, you know, weighs heavily on egg country. We want to make sure that that program, uh, you know, stays strong, but it also stays voluntary. We we hear loud and clear from folks in egg country that, you know, the conservation programs are great tools for vulnerable land. Uh, but don't, you know, don't make us do it in a way that ties our hands and puts us at a disadvantage. Don't tie up our land. That's good production land let's you know let's make sure that it's directed towards vulnerable vulnerable farmland and and whatnot so that's kind of the big conversation pieces that i'm hearing as we're talking to farmers and and rural folks from all over the country uh, i would close you know kind of a thought with we also have to remember that usda is a big agency over a hundred thousand employees uh, so it's not just farm program at fsa but it's also rural development so we talk about a lot of these rural communities Water, wastewater, uh, rural infrastructure, small business, um, uh, broadband, high-speed internet, the reconnect program, that's all through USDA, and that's all part of this reauthorization of the Farm Bill. So all very important things to rural America. You know, sticking with that, you know, you talked about conservation and some of the conservation aspects of the Farm Bill. And, there, you know, when we when we talk about conservation, when we talk about environmental-type issues, um, that can be – a, a a big concern for farmers sometimes, you know, that the, we, we hear talk about the waters of the U.S. rule from the EPA or pesticide registration complexities and things like that. Do you have any insight on, on those kind of topics? And like you said, farmers would obviously prefer that a lot of things would remain voluntary. Where, where do you kind of see those kind of things heading? You know, I worry a little bit that there's more and more of a disconnect between what the legislative branch does and what the executive branch does in regards to the rules and regulata regulations and the implementation of, of certain rules and regulations. So you look at the waiver process for E15, for instance. You know, the legislative intent is pretty clear that E15 is a strong, viable uh, energy source. We, we want rural America to be a part of our America First energy conversation. And everything, you know, is sailing, sailing right along. And then the EPA, you know, gets involved in regards to the waiver and the summer use of it. So I think that um, we have to be clear what we want to do legislatively. And we have to be clear not just to, you know, the folks that, that the Farm Bill will serve, but also the regulators and, and, and the agency folks that are going to have to implement it. So 
I, I would say there's there's ripe opportunity for better conversations with the regulators in regards to the implementation of the farm bill. Uh, we could pass the the greatest farm bill with the best policies, the best laws, uh, and if they're uh, manipulated and massaged through the regulatory process, we in farm country don't don't really see the results that we're looking for in regards to this policy. So there is opportunities for us to uh, strengthen that, uh, and I think overall. That's where you see a lot of disconnect and maybe some folks that are kind of sick of politics or government as usual, because we, we see some of the lack of common sense when it comes to the regulatory side, specifically in the implementation or the enforcement. So we, we can do better. We owe it to our kids and future generations to do better when it comes to the administrative state of our government. So in, in, when when it comes to these kind of things, I mean, you know, like like you had mentioned, and and we talked about, farmers have some concern about certain things that go on. You know, obviously voting is a big thing that's important. But what other advice do you have for farmers that they can get involved? How can how can farmers and and people that really care about these topics influence policy? We got to take our same work ethic and our same common sense that we implement on our farm every day, and we need to take it to the streets. We have to realize that we are less than 1% of the population of this country. And by nature, as farmers, we put the blinders on, right? So trust me, I want nothing more to be in my John Deere 8420 right now, digging and getting the field ready for my brother to plant. And I, you know, just leave me alone, put me in the tractor and let me go to work. But if we continue to do that, we're losing out on the millions of people that don't understand where their food comes from or the challenges that we face. So I kind of joke, but I say it, you know, pretty serious that we need to get in the streets and make a mess. We got to, we got to make sure that we are telling people why food security is so important to national security, why what we do on the farm is so important for the overall future of our country. This country was built on agriculture. It was built on mining, was built on timber, was built on rail. And if you look at those industries, you know, agriculture included, a lot of those have, have seen better days, and we have less and less folks directly involved in those professions. So we have to take that work ethic, and we have to show up, whether that's, you know, from the local, lo you know, zoning and planning commissions, whether it's the city councils, whether it's the county, you know, county government, whether it's state, state and local policy development, whether it's the farm groups, um, showing up at your state capital, showing up at you know, different events where you have the opportunity to tell people and connect with the consumer and, and tell them what we're doing, because there's that that lack of information creates that void where people start to question what we're doing and why we're doing it. Perfect. Well, Congressman, if I have time to sneak in one more quick question here, uh, you know, in Minnesota, you were the champ, you were a champion of rural development in several leadership roles. Are there policies impacting rural infrastructure and development that you're currently watching or advocating for at the federal level? Yeah, so it's a great question. And this is funny because, you know, in the world of politics, this isn't the most sexy of issues, but it is so vital to the heartbeat of rural America. So you talk about things like water and wastewater, right? Like you don't hear people running for political office saying we need to fix our wastewater. But if you live in a small rural community, it's pretty dang important that we make sure that we have good, safe, healthy water and that we have a system in place that takes care of our wastewater, right? We also need to make sure that we are not, you know, not creating haves and have-nots. So you look at the pandemic and you look at some of our kids in rural America, uh, you know, barely on dial, you know, not even dial-up, but they didn't have the high-speed internet service, right? 
but yet they were they were told that we're going to go to online learning. Well, that created challenges for a lot of folks in rural America. So that infrastructure, high-speed Internet, water, wastewater, fire, ambulance, you know, local services that we, we need just as well in rural America that we need in, in metro or urban America. And so making sure that we're standing up for those areas, that we're advocating for those areas, that we are that we're making sure that they're funded at the right level. Uh, and, and, you know, to our further converse, or to our uh, former conversation here about and then making sure that the rules and regulations don't strangle our small communities out of existence. And so specifically when it comes to water and wastewater, you know, if we're continuing to uh, play uh, Charlie Brown and, and Lucy and moving the football, it's it just these small communities don't have the opportunities or the ability to afford some of the things that that government sometimes is asking them to do. So we have to be conscious of that and making sure that we're not putting these unfunded mandates on these communities. So, yeah, it, it is uh, it's not the non-political sexy things, but it's really the important kind of heart and veins and, and pulse of rural America that we have to keep our eyes on. Awesome. Well, Congressman, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy calendar to meet with us here today. For the listeners who want to learn more about you and what you're working on, is there a good place they can go, social media, website, things like that? Yeah, yeah, we're on all the socials, uh, but uh, the website, uh, finstead.house.gov, you can probably start there and and follow us on on all the different social channels, but would love to connect. And, you know, I'm so serious when I say this, that I'm smart enough to know I'm dumb and I need all kinds of people helping me. Uh, and we need to go shoulder to shoulder from rural America. You know, as farmers, as folks that care about rural America, it's not just one person doing it. It's going to be all of us and we have to do it shoulder to shoulder. So please connect. Uh, love to communicate with, with your listeners and, and make sure that we're getting it right here in Congress. Well, Congressman Finstead, it's been a real honor to talk to you and thank you for, for fighting for us out there in Washington. Yeah, you bet. It's been my honor. I I love what you guys are doing, and I appreciate the opportunity. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.